This is the Moon Tower Podcast with your host, Ian Hubbard. Howdy, folks. You like blood, violence, freaks of nature? Well, come on down to Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters Madmen. See the alligator boy. Ride my famous murder ride. But most of all, don't forget to take home some of my tasty fried chicken. Mmm, just tastes so damn good. Bok, bok, bitch. Is that good? Yeah, that worked? Good. that was good. I thought that worked. Trying it out, trying out some impressions now. That was Baldy was right here in the room. I was scared. <laughs> I wet my pants. Dude, I fucking love, I absolutely love Sid Haig as Captain Spaulding. I, House of Thousands of Corpses and Devil's Rejects, big, big fan. Oh, yeah. I, I Honestly, I thought Rob Zombie did a really good job, like, bringing back, like, the... the almost like a true grindhouse kind of vibe yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know... There's a lot of shaky cam, shaky camera, handheld stuff in both those movies, but I think that he he owned up to it because usually that shit would annoy the hell out of me, mm-hmm. and usually and pretty much does, still does, always. When it works, it works, but when it is the whole set of the movie, yeah. then you better, I, I don't you better bring think it. he's ever really gone for like a professional sort of thing though. Like it's always kind of been like semi like low cut, but at the same time like not badly done. Well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's that's the problem with I think most the rest of his uh filmography that I've seen. Like yeah. thir- uh thirty one did not like it had the same like there was no progression, I guess. And but those two movies back to back loved him. Like uh Devil's Rejects I saw in the Dollar Theater. Mm-hmm. Like I'm that's like my one like like when you hear cats from like this that are older, like in their forties, fifties, or sixties, like yeah, I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the drive-in and blah blah blah, or the Ex- Exorcist or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was that was the closest one to that I got. Hmm. But I uh, I've always it's it's funny with him, like he he's always stated like the older horror films are his much to more of his liking. Oh yeah, like the classic universal horror films black and white like you know Frankenstein Dracula the Wolfman that kind of stuff Creature of the Black Lagoon especially that like he's he's always said that he's taken more of a liking to that than but he grew up with stuff in the 70s oh yeah in the 80s and whatnot yeah so, yeah yeah and I think I think he brought it back for at least those two there's also have you heard um He's coming out with the third one in that, in that he's making a trilogy. Okay. It's called Three Days from Hell. Oh yeah, I hadn't heard hell. about that. Yeah. So apparently, for any any listeners out there who have not seen Devil's Rejects or House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, spoiler alert: at the end of Devil's Rejects, the three main characters, Captain Spaulding, um, Otis, and um, Sherry, his wife Sherry Moon, her character's name oh I, yeah i can't recall <laughs> uh baby hey oh baby that's right um at the at the end of that they get into a shootout 
Butch Cassidy, Wild Bunch style with yeah, yeah. a bunch of cops. And you can tell they're getting ripped to shreds with bullets, but apparently they survived. Apparently. Uh, I don't know how. I don't know how he's going to pull that off. Uh, you know. Considering the pretty definite cinematic that he magic. had. <laughs> well. Power friendship, I don't know. So. <laughs> ILM. But. No. R-E-M. No. <laughs> I, that would be interesting. Like, I have R.E.M. in a fucking zombie movie, but no. Ooh. Um, I, I could see them doing a zombie movie soundtrack, honestly. I don't know about that. But, yeah, that's coming out. So I'm interested to see how he pulls that off. Apparently he's also trying to work on a movie about Groucho Marx. Okay. There was kind of like a semi semi biography, semi like uh, not National Enquirer gossip column kind of TMZ kind of stuff, but like kind of like a tell all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forget the author's name. I remember the author's name. About the last like few months of Groucho's life and whatnot. Apparently, Rob Zombie's working on that. Okay. Because huh. obviously, from House of Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, all the main characters are named after Groucho Marx characters. Hmm. So. I did not know that. Yeah, right. like Captain Spaulding is a Groucho character from Animal Crackers. Oh, okay. Was, yeah, no, I, I, I know that. That's why that sounded familiar. Yeah. So, and I've heard at least that one. Well, and then the whole bit in Devil's Rejects with the fucking goofy film critic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definite fanboy stuff there. But, no, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm interested, so I'll, I'll go to look-see whenever it comes out. But, there, I, we, we were talking about this, um, before we went on, about, I, I mentioned something about the Avengers, yeah, and that's. I left that out. I left that out of last week's episode. Just to kind of bring it back around and stem from, because I, I got to thinkings in my brain departments and compartments and departments. Ah, uh, yes, they need to restock that section. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the serotonin's low. Uh, <laughs> I don't even do Molly. Um, but. Talking about that because last week we, you know, I touched upon like the some of the themes that kind of intersected between like some of Tarantino's work and Scorsese and Kubrick, et cetera, et cetera. And went on the whole first half about, you know, the trailers that I had a boner for. And I mentioned that it, this, this is what triggered it. Um, I mentioned that the Irishman was lining up to be like, my sort of the event, my example yeah, for the yeah. Avengers, you know, all five of those guys working together. Oh yeah, no, I, I don't blame you. You know, like <laughs> at their age, et cetera, et cetera, and all the history, filmography, and you know, anyone who knows, like, once again, Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel. Dream team in my book. Yeah, like, so. But no, it got me thinking because I I haven't seen the new Avengers trailer and I haven't seen um, what was the one that came out part one what the, what the hell was the name of that Infinity Infinity uh, Wars yeah yeah obviously you can tell I'm not caught up with that but and and the reason being for that is like I I I dig the whole fanboy thing about them like I it's got a loyal fan base yeah. I'm not gonna hate on that like. Like, admittedly, I think I've only seen, like, the first Avengers movie. 
Like and like you know, I've a handful seen of other like Marvel movies. Like I, I haven't really gotten into the Infinity War or anything like that. I've so, seen. So, um, yeah. I can count it off. I've seen most of Iron Man, first one. Yeah. I saw the second one in the theater. Um, I've seen most of the first Avengers. Thor Ragnarok, which is probably the most fun one. I heard that one was actually really good. It's actually really fun. Yeah. It's fun. It's popcorn. It's best. Yeah. Um, I've seen Age of Ultron. I saw that in the theater. That was, that was a double bill with the chick I was going out with. Okay, yeah. And Return, uh, we saw uh, Fury Road. Ooh. Which, I mean, for me, it was a little you know, way better experience, but... Eh, you know. <laughs> what you gonna do? You can't really, like, uh... I don't know, Fury Road's got a special place in my heart, so... It's sweet. <laughs> I, I might go off on that in a minute, if you remind me, but... Hey, go uh, for it. <laughs> nah, I, I'm trying to digress back to the point I was at. <laughs> yeah. Um, what other Marvel movies I've seen? Like, saw Black Panther in the theater. That was fun. That was good. That was actually, as far as the approach to the material, as far as, like, uh, camera movement and editing... I thought that was one of the better ones. The thing with the Avengers and Josh Whedon is Josh Josh Whedon. He writes some great dialogue. Oh, yeah. He does character development very well. I'll give him that. But the dialogue scenes could have done with a wee bit more interaction between characters. A lot of it's just standing around talking, mm-hmm. which exposition. For it exposition works. It, <laughs> it works for what it is aiming to achieve it does but it bugs the hell out of me yeah. the thing with black panther it it, it crossed that over it, like they need a lot more of a show don't tell because that's like what yeah. the movie's all about <laughs> yeah well and at the same time i get you know there's a breadth of material for any of these characters mm-hmm. you know even the the not so known characters you're going back years of material, even if it's like cameos and whatnot. That's the way I imagine. Like I said, I never, I always tell people, I never got into comic books. I got into comic strips. Yeah. Like, I used to try to like plaster my walls with comic strips. Like they were Hagar the Horribles and all Hagar, that. Hagar, Garfield, High and Lois, um, Baby Blues, um, Curtis and I, um, oh, what was the other one? Uh, Pluggers, uh, a whole bunch of other ones. <clears throat> so that was, that was my version of that. So when I, when I see like these movies, these Marvel movies and DC movies as well, like just superhero, superhero movies altogether, I have to catch myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. My tongue moves faster than <laughs> blah, 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 blah. There's a whole, like I said, a whole canon of material that I'm obviously not aware of. And for anyone to try to smash it down into two to two and a half hours. Anyone in anyone in the know is gonna you know, obviously they're gonna gossip and do the round tables and whatnot. Which like for me, like I, I don't know the backing material, so I have to take it at face value yeah, on yeah. from what I see in the movie. And that was another thing Black Panther I think did well as far as Ant Man too. I liked Ant Man was fun. I haven't seen the second one. Yeah. The first one I thought was like be was honest, fun. like I feel like it's better to go into those sort of movies like not knowing what's like you know going on with like the Marvel universe because the people like really into that are like 
you know, they're disappointed all the time because they're like, oh no, like the comics was like this or whatever. Yeah. So, like, you know, you kind of like appreciate it for face value at that point. Well, and, but also at the same time, it's, if, if that was something I was passionate about and someone, yeah, yeah. like what I just said, came in with that perspective, it'd be like, eh, well, you know, but I, I, I guess I I'm like that. the flip side of that. Like if they made like a comic book out of like Reservoir Dogs or whatever, like there'd be things that they're not doing as well as they did in the actual yeah. movie, you know? So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, you kind of have to look at it from that angle. Yeah. That's the way I've I, I've taken it with the Batman movies. Yeah, and, and going yeah. back to, like, the Timber, Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, mm-hmm. and even the George Clooney Batman. It's like they're... Well, like, even I feel like even, like, the new ones are, like, good for what they are. Like, like those ones and the old ones have, like, a totally different atmosphere, but I really like the Tim Burton ones for, like, what they did because it was, like, more extravagant and more comic book-like without, like, being, like, completely a comic book-type movie. The Batman movies have been an example for me of that's what I grew up with was the Batman movies yeah, and yeah. the animated series on Fox. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, dude. for anyone listening, oh I'm, man, that was, I, that was my jam. Like every day, I will stay down from the TV for this. I'm raising the baseball. <laughs> I'm raising the baseball bat that I have in my hand. We'll take pictures. <laughs> I'm stating it right now. I'm, I'm drawing the fucking line in the, the sand and the carpet. <laughs> the best Joker is Mark Hamill. Oh yeah, no doubt. I, you know what? Heath killed it. He did. You know, yeah, no, there, there's I can make no some off joking. jokes, but I won't right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he he nailed it. Did a great job. So still the best part out of that C plus remake. Uh, don't get me started <laughs> on the <laughs> animated movie of uh, the Killing Joke. The Killing Joke was great. The movie? Yeah. Oh, dude, it was so bad. I've heard, well, <laughs> once again, like, approaching it, yeah. knowing, like, Killing Joke was probably, like, the one I knew the most about, and I still knew very little about. Yeah. So when I saw the movie, I thought, oh, it's... Yeah, I, I feel I, like I, that's definitely one of the, like, yeah, like, what I was talking about earlier with, like, you know, people, like, uh, like, being into the comics or whatever. Yeah, fan, that's fan exactly what spot. ruined that movie. If you ever read the comic before watching yeah. that, you totally hate it. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I, I got a digital copy was given a digital copy of the comic and I skimmed through it and I, I could definitely tell where yeah. fans had and they, they took. A, I feel like they took a lot of liberties where they really didn't need to and where they could have like put in like more like to kind of like solidify the backbone of the story because it was a good story to begin with all I had to do was kind of tell it and then they spent time doing like some weird stuff that like didn't even happen in the comic so I don't know it, well <laughs> like I said once again it worked for me yeah. watching it because it, it did it did connect as far as the actual oh what is it the one they did on the red hood was actually really good I heard that was yeah that that one is that one's actually a plus in my book okay coming coming from being like fan so? of the comics and stuff oh it's just like they they go through it like uh, they did in the comics like I read the comic about like uh, I think it's like Mask of the Red Hood and it's going into like uh, the original like uh, Joker or whatever like uh, he was originally the, the Red Hood okay and they uh, go and like. Uh, explain the backstory of that and that's kind of like you know an origin story for the joker but at the same time uh uh it's like a robin story because they kill robin off early on is isn't that when he comes back as nightwing or is that further along oh uh, no it's not that he comes back as nightwing like i won't uh spoil the plot of it but like see once again yeah. my, my novice knowledge oh, <laughs> of, dude. of these ty- of these sorts of things yeah I'll, I'll show you that at some point it, it's a good one no i yeah, but um, 
they, they, they play on like I guess like you know like the, the storyline like you don't know what's gonna happen because like there's these characters that are supposed to be dead and then it ends up like you know flushing out it's like oh shit these guys aren't dead <laughs> okay that is one thing that I have taken an appreciation for as far as like the fanboys and uh, people who keep showing up and criticizing like I get it like you're not you're like what you say you're not, if you're hardcore into it, mm-hmm. you're never really going to be satisfied because it's not going to tick all the boxes, but if it does a good enough job of ticking the boxes that you want... Yeah, you know, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. Yeah, no <laughs> shit. But one thing I've... With, with that, which I, I found kind of actually very funny, is... And, and funny in a tee-hee-ha-ha way, not a funny fuck-you way is the liberties that you talked about, like the liberties of material that you say happened in the killing joke. That's always the biggest stickler for fans of say, just books in general that are adapted to movies. But with the comic book fans, it's so much hardcore. And I, I just think it's funny because that's always, like I said, when books get are adapted into movies, that's always the number one criticism. It's never, oh, yeah. it's never good enough. It's never good enough, or it adds, or it takes away, or does this, or does that, or twists the storyline, or completely, almost denounces the source material. Yeah, like all I'm gonna say is I've never gotten into the Star Trek, uh, you know, rabbit hole and like all like the new movies with that. So I don't know, like, you know, fan perspective is like an old school, like Star Trek fan on that sort of stuff, which could be like a whole different wormhole. <laughs> Literally. You know? But. and Don't get me started on tabletop gaming. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been, that, that's, a, that's kind of a, like a small topic that I've been interested in uh, off and on the last few months is the idea of, like, uh, Kubrick. Yeah, yeah. Was... That's his, that's the biggest criticism that I think most people have, is the fact that he took the source material and definitely took liberties with it. But at the same time, my argument, like it's the, like the meme where they have um, the iceberg, and the tip of it's pointing out of the water. Yeah, yeah. And it said it's the movie, and then on the bottom is the rest of it, and it says the book. That, that bugs the hell out of me because you can take it one, two ways. Like, the movie adapts the book, twists, leaves out, takes liberties with the material, and there's so much of the book that's left out, and then what you have is the movie, and then that, that's where the criticism comes from. Yeah. Or, to me, you can take it and say that the book or books in general have so much more and deeper meaning than films do or the adaptation of the film from the book. Yeah. Yeah. Where I would argue that there's been plenty of cases where the adaptation is as good, if not better than the book in one way or another. And at the same time on a kind of a more theoretical basis that there are many films that hit you can, can and do hit you on a much deeper level than books do. And vice versa. I'm not. I'm not yeah. decrying I mean, literature, got, but you got like movies like like Fight Club, A Scanner Darkly, and stuff like that. Like I think those are like really great ad- adaptations. Dude, fucking uh, Polonic. That's how he pronounced his last name. Yeah, yeah. Polonic, Palonic, how Chuck Mill. I call him Chuck P. 
He's he's with my my Chucks, Chuck P, Chuck D, Chuck Taylor, Chuck C, Chuck <laughs> Chuck T, Chuck. Chuck in them Chuck. Chef Boyardee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he even said that Fincher's adaptation had a better ending than his book did. And I would agree. Yeah. Um, spo- oh, it was a good. Once idea. again, spoiler <laughs> alert for if you don't know, then you know, now you know. Um, in the book Fight Club, the narrator, quote unquote Jack, ends up in a mental in- institution and has basically dr- dreamt up this, the whole idea of Project Mayhem and Tyler Durden and and whatnot. He tried acting on it, and then they harnessed him and threw him in the loony bin in the. In the movie, um, Jack, quote-unquote, kills Tyler Durden mm-hmm. and ends up carrying out the main course of Project Mayhem, which is the destruction of the main financial institutions in the city, with Marla at his side. Cue the Pixies. Great fucking... Yeah. No, I, Dude, I, like, was... I like that ending just because, like, there's, like, a lot to interpretation. Like, obviously, they made, like, a comic book sequel to it, which will go into more depth of whatever happened. I think they ended up taking, like, the movie ending with the comic book. They, uh, th- there was a comic book? Yeah, yeah, Fight Club 2. A comic book? Yeah, yeah, that, that was that was a sequel, apparently. What? Yeah. I, I did not know this. Yeah, dude. But there's I haven't the... read it yet. I need, I need to go through that. I heard, I don't know, I haven't... I haven't heard, like, you know, like, screaming praise or anything, but, like, you know, it's something that exists, and I think it should be checked out at the very least. Yeah. And then you have, like, you know, The Godfather. Yeah, that's, yeah, You know, that, that's pretty good adaptation. <clears throat> um, <laughs> honestly, my, my personal favorite would probably be Goodfellas. Yeah, oh, dude. That you was, ever, that you ever read Wise Guys? I, I, haven't, I haven't read it, but, you know. I, I owned it for a hot minute, and soiled the pages wise guys was the book that it's based off on written by nicholas Pelegi, who co-wrote the screenplay of goodfellas and same thing with casino except i think the book came out after the movie gotcha um but it's absolutely terrific and by terrific i mean like the fat that it cuts out it's the movie still brings it back around okay and really the only thing like there's a little bit like like certain sequences are pushed forward or moved back or con- conglomerated. That's that's the thing that it does so well. I think the the adaptation of Wise Guys into Goodfellas is they kept all of the voiceover because the the book that Nicholas Pelleggi wrote was literally just him and Henry Hill. Yeah. Sitting across the table and just talking. The, the the conversation flows so well and the exposition in the book it blends you don't even notice that it's exposition it just the entire time you're just literally in the book listening to these two guys talk to you Pelegi with the exposition and then him talking to Henry Hill and Henry Hill giving the fucking his, his jive about the story the story that he tells about yeah, his time yeah, in the mob yeah. and Literally, the only thing the book, or excuse me, the film, changes a little bit of the time placement and the last names. Other okay. than that, it fucking is straight to the course. Yeah, okay. And dig this, dude. This will this will wrinkle your ball sack. Okay, you've seen Goodfellas. Yeah. Joe Pesci. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, 
We all know. Oh, yes. And if you don't know, <laughs> then you can go fuck well, yourself. You, you should know. Like I said, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, in the book, Henry Hill's talking about the real Tommy. And talking about how Tommy had the same hair trigger temper that Joe Pesci portrays later in the film. But take right, this. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. Joe, Fe- Joe Pesci's a wee little fella. The real Tommy yeah, was he, like 6'2", 230. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. No, I heard about that. What? <laughs> like, and he's in the book, he's talking about like how Tommy would just do hits for fun and would get nasty with it. Okay. A 6'2", 230, 240 Joe Pesci, dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking about that. Yeah. Like uh, him going up against like Jean-Claude Van Damme. That'd be great. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> going up against... Anyone, ex- anyone except maybe Mike Tyson or the Iceman. Like, that's 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 scary to think about. <laughs> a little bit, a little but, bit. But uh, I, I think in some, in certain copies, you can get an epilogue of what, in, in Wise Guys, the copy of the book, I think you can get an epilogue talking about the movie. Okay. And But if it's not in there, then it's elsewhere because... Uh, you can look up Henry Hill talking about Pesci's performance and saying that was spot on. Oh, yeah. Like, scary. I, I scary. With that. <laughs> scary. Like, from simply, like, you know, a uh, viewer's perspective, I thought he did a great job. So. I mean, I've watched the movie probably 40 times, and the part where Spider tells him to go fuck himself after he's shot him, shot him in the foot, and there's that cone of silence before De Niro, and everyone's like, oh. And Pesci's just sitting there, and you you know what's gonna happen, and you're just like, oh man, you shouldn't have said that. Oh, you shouldn't have shit. said that, because he's just sitting there, and it stews and stews and boom, 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 boom. You're like, still, man, it works, yeah. works on so many levels, so many levels. It's Boy. amazing. Ah uh, yes. But all in between. One of the things that does kind of grinds my gears, grinds my gears, Gary, is the whole argument about film adaptations because they're based on the material. Oh, yeah. Now, I know that splitting hairs and crosshairs of that, but I think that with film adaptations, they should have that ability to take those liberties if those liberties direct the story in a proper direction. One of, yeah. one of, um, and I'm not even going to, you would think like, Oh, he's going to talk about the shining. No, I'm not. Well, I might. I mean, it's a good example, but yeah, my, Everyone uses that well, my, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the fucking, that's the archetype antichrist kind of example yeah. that people either piss on or root for. My example is one, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, okay. I think that's a more uh, on-point example. Yeah, yeah. Because the book is fantastic, I think. The book, well-written, spelled out, character development, etc., etc. Great use of language. Uh, it, it's not... It's of the time, but it, it has that vibe that it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's timeless. Yeah. 
yeah, et cetera, no. et cetera. Like, I feel like the way that, like, everybody acted, like, the characters felt, like, you know, like, real. Like, it, if, you can, if you can do that, then, like, make it entertaining, like, you know, it's good in and of itself. Well, I mean, you know, you, you just touched upon yeah. it, is the book is a great ensemble piece. The book is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it ties everyone together. There's a great mesh of characters. I, I just think, it, as a book, it's fantastic. The film is also fantastic. I mean, Christopher Lloyd, Danny DeVito, Jack Nicholson, um, Louise Fletcher, who played Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, Fan- yeah. Amazing, fantastic. But the film takes a lot of liberties with the book in that it, what I was talking about earlier with the way that Goodfellas, you know, con- sort of conglomerated and meshed the timing, the time uh, sequence yeah, yeah. that the book spelled out. What Cuckoo's Nest does as a film is it takes the sections of the book and kind of cuts them up and reroutes them. So what would be A, B, C, D in the book is C, B, D, A in the movie. Yeah. But the timeline that the movie sets up works on its own, separate from if you can separate what the film does and the book does and i think that's one of the things that a lot of readers slash fans kind of fail to do is make that separation yeah, in the yeah. format you know in the like, medium now that you mentioned that i think that's uh drive drive movie drive was uh based on a book have you read that no i own drive i'm that, the book's actually me, really really short i think it's like maybe 100 pages it's supposed to be like a nice short noir that's it you know novella yeah yeah i've i've heard about it i i don't really have any interest in reading it yeah like i, I kind of want to go through it just because it's a short read and it's like i feel like it would be supplementary more than anything i mean fuck fight club's only like yeah. 96 pages yeah yeah and now but uh going back to the point i think that's one of the things that like i said readers slash fans have a hard time doing is is separating the two yeah, yeah. You know, when you put it in a visual and audio medium, the interpretation is going to be different. It should be different, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you kind of want to, like, take something away from, like, you know, like, a visual media rather than a written media, you know what I'm saying? Like, you get different as, things as, from different, you know, forms as, of media. As they say, you can't read a movie and you can't watch a book. Exactly. I mean, you can write a book like a movie, like a script or whatever. I mean, you can do it. Like, uh, what is it? The, there's a monster. There, there's a book a long time ago that was written, like, you know, like a, like mm-hmm. a movie script or whatever. And that was, like, well, how the book was written. That's a, that's a good point that you pointed out. Not to sound redundant, but uh, the way the Coen brothers do their adaptations. Mm-hmm. Like, with No Country for Old Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Yeah the majority of that movie is taken word for word from the book. Yeah. Like the last half hour of the film is straight from the book. Word, okay. like literally word for yeah, word. No, I didn't know and that. they just broke it down and sectioned it out in the script form. Like it's literally to a T. Huh. Because that movie ends on such of I guess an ominous point. Well, I mean yeah, that whole monologue at the end, like that's like, you know, like you know, yeah. a big part of that movie. The, the sheriff's coming to terms with the fact that he can't do anything. Mm-hmm. It when I saw it because I didn't, I didn't. That, it was a good like analog to dreams in general. Yeah, I felt. and that's yeah. and I'll admit that's my other thing too is that even when it comes like not even comic books or graphic novels adaptations, 
but just book to film adaptation. I'll admit I have probably have not read the book. Like Wise Guys in the Goodfellas is probably one of the only times where and it's more than I've ever done. So <laughs> I, I'll admit that. I will admit that. You're hearing it. You're hearing it now, folks. I am admitting some sort of fault, but it just it just bugs me that they can't once again they can't separate that page pages screen yeah and i i understand why it's because the fans want to make or they want to have the screen representation be legitimate to yeah the written word or the the picture yeah Uh, unfortunately that's not always financially possible true or artistically possible true cases yes (laughs) um but at the same time on the flip side i have no problem arguing about remakes (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, feel free. Like, once, like, 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 the means to the end are, like, more available, and hell yeah, like, why not do a remake? As long as it's done well, it's not, like, you know, like a cash grab, like, you know, like that Robocop movie or whatever. Uh, <laughs> dude, don't even, oh my I god. I heard it wasn't that bad I, at the same uh, time. It was just, like, we don't PG, talk about that, Nate. PG-13 we Robocop. don't talk about that, Nate. We don't talk about that. On, <laughs> we don't talk on. about it. No, PG-13. I, Fuck. You, you not not you, get, but you can't have people getting shot in the dick in a PG thirteen movie. No, never, ever, <laughs> never, never. I saw that. Uh, you ever see that photo? I saw it recently. It popped up my 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 Facebook feed of the brunette standing next to Peter Weller taking a picture, mm-hmm. and she's got the black shirt and the white lettering. It says, "Remember that time RoboCop shot the dude in the dick?" Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, uh, I think that's what kind of like had that spring into my mind. So yeah, I do remember seeing that. It's amazing. <laughs> and he's just standing there because I, 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 being such a fucking dicky dork, I looked into it and he saw the chick's shirt and fucking started laughing. And that's when he took the photo because he's standing there like, <laughs> snap. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. But no, I, serious dude, like a couple friends of mine, like they, they meant well, they meant well. And I was over to their place one time, and they, I got a gift. We got a gift for you. I'm like, okay. I'll close your eyes, and they placed in my hand. I was like, I felt it up. I'm like, oh yeah, it's a DVD case. Yeah, we figured. Open my eyes. Yeah, we bought your RoboCop. And it was a fucking remake. <laughs> oh no. And I looked at him. I'm like, because at the same time, I knew they weren't fucking with me, but at the same yeah. time, I'm like. You don't know me that well. <laughs> You've known me for so many years, and you should. <laughs> it was all brewing inside of me, and I just looked at him I'm like, "I'm gonna be that dick. I'm sorry. I cannot accept this. <laughs> it's only happened once, hey, hey, once dude, before. No, like, I, I, I can't don't exactly do it. blame you. There. I can't do it. Which have you seen? Um, seen or heard about uh, my dude Scott, Scotty Romaley? If you're out there, buddy, listening, love Hi, you. Scott. Have you ever seen uh, the our, our RoboCop remake? No, I have not. Have you heard about it? I haven't. No, this is dude, news to me. Dude. <laughs> okay, so obviously you've seen RoboCop, the original. Mm-hmm. The one and only. Oh, yeah. I've seen the like the TV series in the early 90s. My, my, me and my dad used to watch that shit. Uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't even know there was one. Yeah, dude. And I've seen the original trilogy, which is horrible after number one yep but um it was around the time that the remake was coming out and actually no it was after it was after excuse me it was after 
I was over at his place. I was staying and I, I had to work at like six in the morning. So I crashed at his place because mm-hmm. it was right by work. And he's a big fan of the original as well. And he showed me it's called our RoboCop remake. So a lot of these like no name, like extremely low budget DIY, like filmmakers got together uh-huh. in light of the announcement that they were going to do the remake and they made their own remake. Okay. And it's like every like every scene is directed by someone else and huh. done by someone oh, else. Oh no, I, I dig it. I dig it. Like uh for instance the the um the Coke factory. Yeah. When RoboCop busts in and shoots everyone up, that whole sequence between Clarence Bodiger and Sal, you know, I got enough muscle to shove I got I got the muscle to shove enough of this factory up your stupid wop ass. You'll shit snow for a year. <laughs> like that scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead yeah. of that, uh, uh, two chicks directed it, that scene. Yeah. And instead of cocaine and guns, it was milk and cookies. So they're sitting okay. there fucking, like, dunking milk into cookies, doing the dialogue. And all the dialogue is mainly, like, on par, like, verbatim. And they're just sitting there, like, shoving milk and cookies in their mouth, like... <laughs> or like um this this the bit where after peter peter weller alex murphy gets shot up and he gets revived as robocop and it's from his point of view like through the screen and all the scientists are having the fucking like big party like the new year's party or whatever uh-huh. and the fucking uh slut scientist bends down and gives him a kiss and all that shit they have one uh they're just, like, doing this, it's, like, this cheesy fucking, like, 80s-type party, like, uh-huh. and this dude busts in a fucking <laughs> Hawaiian shirt unbuttoned with his gut hanging out. He's like, woo, woo, RoboCop, yeah, I'd buy yeah. that for a dollar. That's what he said. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, turn, he, turn, he turns to RoboCop, he's like, yeah, what's this party about? And they're like, we're making, we're making machine cops, we're making RoboCop. He's like, what? RoboCop? What the fuck is that? What kind of fucking party I fucking bust into? Ah! And like they just make a like it's like one part mockery and one part like like fan love. It's yeah. dude, it's fucking perfect. If you get, this, I think it's, I think you can look it up on the YouTube's. I All think. All right, I have to check that out. But I, I, I get nostalgic for this shit. Like dude, that. it's hilarious, hilarious. And yeah, you get the chance. Like I said, it's called our RoboCop remake, but uh. We got to get to the sponsors this week. Just remember. Oh, yes. And then I think you got to pee. And then I think I got to pee. And I think the cat's got to pee. And then I think we got to pee all together and look at it. So are we all going to pee in a box or what? No, we're just going to stare at it. Don't, just don't pee on the cats. And they're not even mine. Hey, they don't care. All right. PP time. We'll be right back. Here's the sponsors this week. Moon Tower Podcast. This week's episode of the Moon Tower Podcast is sponsoring... Mobile Bell Bonds. Freedom is just a phone call away. You in a jam? Got a relative smoking ice? Call Sarah Stewart at 419-666-BOND. Ask for Sarah Stewart, the Max Cherry of the Glass City. Do you have a nub-headed child with a juice box and a bouncy ball? Or are you just looking to jerk off with the blinds closed? In any case, call Remax and ask for Kathy Coyote Broker. She is fantastic, and you will find the home of your dreams. And are you looking for serious skincare with real results? 
go to Angie Scott Skin Health. Voted Toledo's Best Aesthetician 2013 to 2016. Located at 3409 Stearns Road in Lambertville, Michigan. Call ahead for an appointment. Getting back to what we were talking about earlier, um, about like the ideas of American cinema, we kind of touched on bottom. Yeah, at least yeah, what's yeah. with what's hot now, like adaptations, remakes, things like that. I saw a quote. Um, I've talked about Jean Luc Godard, the the French master oh, uh-huh. from the sixties, but um, he had a very very good quote. It was, it's from I think that thing is from the sixties. Okay. He said, and I came across it because I. I follow pages called Cinema Cinema D'Amour. Okay. Where it's oh, yeah. they always you know post uh, still frames and quotes and whatnot from yeah, yeah. various films and filmmakers and of the like. <clears throat> and they post one and said, um, "I pity French cinema because it lacks money. Mm. I pity American cinema because it lacks ideas." I remember seeing that. It, and he was he he's always been like that. He's been iconoclast against the wave kind of filmmaker mm-hmm. but he he's right he's right that that is that is the one sort of downfall it is a downfall of American yeah, cinema yeah. is that American cinema has always and I, I meant I mentioned this as far as the culture last week but pertaining to the cinema is that it, it it imports the ideas. Oh yeah. If you see a groundbreaking American film, usually it's taking from elsewhere. Yeah. Or you know, not just like an adaptation or a uh remake or whatever. It's like, oh hey, audience has gobbled up this idea, let's use it again. Well, not even not even that, <laughs> but if I mean if you look at say like the the new Hollywood of the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. I was gonna flow from the idea of like the whole Avengers into this and I'll do it now where back, back in the sixties when the studios collapsed, what they did was they relied on big budget ensemble star names to sell the films because the movies themselves didn't really have a whole lot behind uh, yeah. it. They had the faces. Had substance, but they had faces to sell a product. Mm-hmm. So they used that. They got it right a few times. Uh, there's a, a few times they got it right. One of which, um, the longest day you ever seen that? I've not. <clears throat> World War Two, World War Two film about the invasion, D Day. Yeah, yeah. It's got it has everyone. 1962. So imagine anyone and everyone. John Wayne, R- Richard okay. Burton, Robert Ryan, uh, Robert Mitchum, um, Sean Connery makes a, a slight cameo before. Before he got famous, um, Fabio, Fabio, not Fabio the model, but Fabio the singer, pa- uh, Paul Anka, the old singer, uh, like a whole, uh, whole lot of who's who kind of thing. That, uh, that sounds like a hell of a cast, right there. That was, yeah, it fucking is a hell of a cast. That is kind of the example that I thought the superhero movies of now would follow, and they have followed. The thing is, and the biggest difference is that people keep coming out to see them. Yeah. That was the other, that's that's the biggest thing that really is the biggest. Not 
Well, they go to them because they can be entertained and, like, whether well, or not, like, they're, like, a great movie or not, like, yeah, they probably are going to be entertained just because it's, like, you know, a large mo- uh, Marvel Universe movie, you know, it's, like, shit, like, there's a little bit well, of everything for everyone. Oh, well, yeah, there's, there's that, and <clears throat> I'll give Marvel and even DC for how sloppy it is, still making money. See, what happened in the 60s was they were throwing these big budget big name ensembles together and they were bombing yeah, the box yeah. no no one was interested in seeing them because the whole idea of the culture and the tide was turning and blah 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 like what people wanted to see on screen <clears throat> was not what Hollywood what the movies were giving them okay so you you have this tank in the, in the studio system in, in the mid to late 60s and then that's what brought the wave on which carried on through the 70s Okay. So you you were able to get Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces and Taxi Driver and gotten uh, all the Scor- like Scorsese, De Palma, uh, Coppola, early Spielberg, early G- George Lucas, um, Hal Ashby, Jerry Kassenberg, uh, Monty Hellman, Monty Hellman, um, like the whole wave of. 60s and 70s filmmaker like Dennis Hopper is part of that Peter Fonda AIP which was um uh Burt Schneider and Bob Bob Rafelson they yeah, brought in the whole yeah. wave oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. and Roger Corman brought that about as well like the old uh movie producer who did the Vincent Price Edgar Allan Poe adaptations mm. you know the the um the original Little Shop of Horrors for instance okay the one that has Nicholson in it, early 1960s. You know, low budget, <clears throat> so that they were able to get their feet wet, essentially. And he brought all these cats along, you know. And that stems from the 50s and 60s work of someone like John Cassavetes. Like, actual in- independent American cinema. Like, the first true kind of emergence of it. Yeah. Where he would shoot, like, Faces was on, I think, 60 millimeter cost less than a million dollars to make because he had a whole troop of actors yeah yeah. and they would just make these films for dirt cheap and it ended up it's just this whole wave just grew and grew and grew and it was on the underbelly of the studio falling in on itself yeah because like if you look at it it's like you know it's easier to like get something that people like you know people obviously were tired of you know those types of movies back then that's why it didn't do so well so like when like the new ones are coming out like you said where they had like totally different ideas, it's like, oh hey. Oh, and and also it's not really like, really riding out the coattails, but like you know, it's like it's kind of like allowing something different to emerge well, out of like the ashes of the old. Not, not even out of the ashes of the old. It was just showing something new to American, the American public. Where yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like that's where like early handheld, for yeah. instance, grainy black and white. You know, real dialogue, improvisation. Um, letting the actors be actual characters instead of playing like, you know, John Wayne or, uh, the, the, the the movie stars, they weren't stars. They were people. They're like, they're playing characters you wouldn't expect almost. Cause like, you know, like they're your neighbor. Yeah. They're your milkman. They're your postman. They're your fucking bus driver. You know, that they, they, it just took on the face of the public and that's what, and the tide of the culture shifted so much that that is what became in. You know what I'm saying? 
And now, I don't, I can't pinpoint honestly whether or not it's a uh, a mark on the culture or it, it is because you know what I'll say it it is I, I rescind that comment okay. I, I think it is because it shows a level of what Stephen Fry in an interview the great comedian author raconteur etc cetera, etc. Cetera, labeled as infantilism where yeah. you know you have grown adults taking their kids to see the new Jurassic Park or superhero movies mm-hmm. you know that wave of nostalgia and the the thing is that like I said they keep showing up you know these movies are making droves and droves of money and because people for one reason or another are sh- still showing up for whether it be like nostalgia or infantilism or uh this whole idea of like, oh, this is childhood or whatever. Like, they still keep making money. The The culture has not shifted in order for a new wave of blood to come in because the money keeps rolling in and whatever. And the, it's been the case with Hollywood forever, ever since it started. Whatever makes the money is going to get shown, you know, and... And whatever the public wants to see is what they're going to get to see. And the same thing happened at the end of the 70s when the budgets ran too high and creative control was left into the hands of the directors that the amount of money for what the product was, for what people were seeing, dwindled. Mm-hmm. So more money, less uh, eyes on the screen, essentially. They, they couldn't fill the seats. And... In that tide, you know, you have the blockbuster. I mean, essentially in American cinema, I mean, you have the genre pictures. Oh, yeah. The horror films, westerns, comedies, oh, rom- yeah, kind romance. kind of gave way to, like, Star Wars and Star Trek and all that sort of <laughs> but, stuff. But, yeah, but at the same at the same time, like, it's funny. You said, you said Star Wars. For the longest time, I hated that movie. Like, Star Wars. The <laughs> original, true blue, OG fucking Star Wars. I hated that movie. But... I went back and read what George Lucas had to go through to make that movie. That was a, that was literally, that was an independent film. That was definitely a labor of love. That was an independent film, essentially. And what I gained to learn from that was it wasn't the film itself or him. It was the, it was the flow of the studio because at the end of the seventies, like I said, like the, Production levels were going higher and higher. It wasn't breaking in that much money. And then blockbusters started rolling in. And that's that was the next wave that the studios jumped on and what the producers wanted to make. You know, franchises, like the buckets of cash. They went back. It literally reverted back to that. Which I found kind of funny with the wave of superhero movies is how many of those actors... I mean, Robert Downey Jr. has had a career before Iron Man. At least he did. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, she has she has some some roles, some felt like uh, Lost in Translation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know she she had a little bit before Jimmy Renner. I know did. Mark Ruffalo also he he's probably the one that's like carried through. As far as you know, a lot of these cats that get hooked up with the superhero movies, I guess for the most part, like. How many of their other movies do you know? Yeah, you see like what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like yeah. After like the like 
early 2000s, like, I have no idea, like, what these guys have done. Yeah. <laughs> and, but they're, they're attached to these movies. You know, they don't really have... Like, honestly, their identity away. That's you know what yeah. that's that's a helpful point yeah. in a way. Like as far as actors, which is why, dude, I was so for the longest time. I I got to harp on him again because he's my dude. But god damn it, when I saw Tom Hardy sign up for Venom, I'm like, because for the longest time I'm like, please don't do this. Please don't do a superhero yeah. movie. But. I heard he wanted to do Venom. That was like oh, one of his, I don't wait for that was, that was that, one of the honestly. things that he yeah. wanted to do. I haven't seen the movie. I heard it's. Eh. I heard it's at least at the very least like you know like passable. But like, I, it, with someone like him, I, I, I can see him doing like the Mickey Rourke thing. Yeah. Where you know you blow up. You're the as far as like a pure on screen yeah. presence. You're. Arguably one of the best out there, yeah, in yeah. my opinion. Like, I can watch Tom Hardy take a shit. Yeah, I can watch Tom right. Hardy read the newspaper. Oh, like we were talking, I, I, we were talking I, about fucking he, Great Fury Road the other day, or you like, know what, a that, little bit ago. Like, dude, yeah, like that's a good point. Like, well, fucking Fury Road is enough to like fucking make a case for it. <laughs> well, and that's that's the thing. That was, that's that's the great thing about Fury Road. Like, a lot of people were like, "Oh, Tom, what?" Like him getting cast as Max, he nailed it. Oh, dude, because, yeah, totally. Well, well, and the thing was, the funny thing was is that what George Miller did with Fury Road is that he took, and it's a pro and a con. I talked about like how the pros and cons kind of match. Yeah. Before, yeah. like the thing with Fury Road is that you know you expect a Mad Max movie, and then Mad Max, and then fucking Max is not even the main character. Yeah. Furiosa ends up being the main character, mm-hmm. and Tom Hardy has like eight words. A lot no, of gr- that's good, though. He's got it's more like, grunts and lines of dialogue. Like, like I, I think I've talked to you this about before. Like, like main characters without like a lot of lines of dialogue, I I prefer because like their actions have to speak without words. Yeah, you know. And, and it it took. I that thought a- Ryan Gosling did it, like I, I told you about like the about Ryan drive. Gosling. Yeah, yeah, like his like the first half hour of the movie, like you don't like hear like heads or tails from the dude. Like, yeah. Shit. But that's what I found funny about uh, Fury Road is that you know, and that was one of the things that. I know some people got cheesed about was, you know, they expected Mad Max and then he ends up being a side character that almost, he, he, he ends up being an integer into the storyline instead of the main character. But what he does ends up giving way to the, the the kind of the the break off into Furiosa's character. Supplemental, like everything else going on in the movie, like everything he does. And he fucking nails it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, yeah, like. I won't say it's like seasoning on the stage, but it's like definitely the marinade. Well, and that, well, and again, like that—that that was one of the things that, like, I was, I was like, oh, when he, when I, because I didn't want him to get hooked up in the whole superhero thing, but when I heard that he wanted to do Venom, that was like one of his like nerd things that he wanted yeah. to do. I'm like, all right, cool, but at the same time, he already had a track record of solid performances before that happened. Mm-hmm. Not Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo, probably uh, as far as like the Marvel DC. I know Christian Bale playing Batman. Like he already had a thing going on before he played Batman. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like not a lot of these cats like they have that, and the whole ensemble piece because of that. Like I said, like um, they you don't have that anymore. Like you don't have like that star power. It's it's. I guess what I'm getting to is like the thing with like. 
studio films and big budget studio films in the 60s especially is that the star power was completely lost yeah and there's that break in that shift and that dichotomy of exactly which is great like you know like you want to be artistic in, in a sense yeah which i mean now it's like it's the same thing where like you don't have that one star yeah you, yeah you know it, it's always an ensemble what what i didn't ex- i i didn't expect it but at the same time i didn't i i thought it was going to happen again where the sh- the the break would happen where that would fall upon itself mm-hmm. you know i keep expecting the whole trend to happen again where these studio uh these superhero movies would bomb yeah. i didn't think wonder woman would be a success yeah you know, Suicide Squad ended up being a piece of shit, but because it, it was a garbage movie. Yeah. Like that's a perfect example of that. Literally, is a perfect example of that whole '60s studio ensemble yeah. bit that I'm kind. Of, I'm trying to. I'm trying like to build a bridge to. It's like, because it was. It was bad. Yeah. It was literally bad. Anyone who says they like Suicide Squad, fucking better at. Uh, even if they have a great reason. I still think they would be wrong because it's literally a terrible movie. Yeah. Like another, like, you know, like one of those, like, syndromes, like, okay, hey, let's throw enough, like, you know, A-list actors at a movie and see if it, like, actually does well or not. Yeah. It's like, that's not, like, I mean, yeah, it's going to save a movie in, like, the first couple weeks of the showing, but, like, you know, once it gets to DVD, it's like, yeah, shit. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you're you're done. But, well, it just goes to show you that there's only two camps in American cinema, cinema anymore where it's the big blockbusters or what else do you have like you you know the money the money is not being spent on personal and indie films or whatever like they're they're still getting made but and i think also the saturation of of and because of content yeah where there's so much out there that you have to dig to find something that you think is suitable yeah like, not, not suitable, but like what what you're looking for. Like if you're looking for something new and something that is something that drives you to want to watch it, and something that makes you care and pay attention as far as a cineast, someone who's a cinephile. Yeah. That you know, I you sit down and you're like, I, I want to watch it. I want to try to find a fucking good film. Trying trying to find this, like you can go to the library and rent one. There's plenty of them there. Yeah. But uh, the the content, which is funny, because you know we're doing the content now. <laughs> true that. Like trying to find it. It's it's out there. That that's the thing is that it's out there. But you know, I keep thinking that these superhero movies that they're gonna implode. Oh yeah. They event they eventually have to. I mean, just because of laws of nature. Yeah. But they keep making so much dough that that's that's all there is. Like that's the identity of American cinema, and it has been for at least fifteen years. Yeah, and look at like American horror nowadays. Like, well, not, like not, I can't say there's like been like a great like horror movie in like at least the last like two or three years. Well, I mean, once again, it's franchising. Yeah, like like. Any like and it's always right now. I'm catching myself. Pardon me. Right now, it's horror franchises and superhero movies. Sometimes they'll have the comedies, you know, The Hangover and shit like that. Mm-hmm. 
but when when was the last time quite you know question question for the audience question for the audience i'm sure you can come up with some good ones i can name a few when was a when when was the last time you saw a standalone movie by itself like it wasn't part of a franchise it wasn't part of a sequel no like there wasn't the actor that was signed on for three different versions of this it wasn't a remake it was completely just as far as you could tell original just standalone movie it wasn't an adaptation it wasn't uh, a remake i already said that sorry i'm sounding redundant it was a standalone fucking movie that you can remember <laughs> i mean even phones are open now yeah they're open now <laughs> comments comments uh european on the twitter on the Instagram, like, comment, Facebook page, OneTowerPodcast.com. <laughs> but I, the one I think of is still an adaptation. Mm-hmm. There will be blood. Ooh, yeah. Wolf of Wall Street adaptation. Yep. And I think that's one of the things that the 70s got right. There are a lot of standalone pictures that were not part of a franchise, that were not part of a, a contract for... You know, Dirty Harry yeah. to have a to have a series of sequels. They're, movies they're, for movies' sake. Yeah, like that. That's the thing that American cinema, I think, as far as its identity, is missing now is the standalones, like the films that are by themselves. Like once again, I mean, yeah, Taxi Driver. I mean, that's obviously ob- sound redundant. That's the obvious one. Yeah. Um, like honestly, in like recent years, like ones that i can think of like like drive uh nightcrawler i thought was really good fucking hated nightcrawler i i, I not I not hated not hated but we talked about like it was know, too, it was like too it was too taxi driver for its own sake drive is more taxi driver than nightcrawler is really yeah you think so yeah definitely okay uh see i i think drive is more hmm I know you said you didn't watch all the way through a Nightcrawler either. I didn't see that. Would that's definitely true. Change your I stop. I stop. I, I I will admit I cut Nightcrawler off when he went into the interview with his uh, supervisor because that was yeah, you have to shot say, for shot from the same no, fucking you to, sequence you of need to, like, Taxi catch, Driver. Catch the rest of the movie. I know. It's totally different than what you think. Okay. Expect. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, like like that. Uh, fucking uh, man. What a like, good time. Good Time is a good example from, like, a recent one. From, like, I think that was 2016. Very good independent, like, just, like, standalone movie. You know, honestly, um, who I, the two films of his I've seen, of, this, this is going to be from left field. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. Okay. Uh, the Three Burials of Melchiatus Estrada and The Homesman. Okay. Southwest, Southern Gothic vibe, um... Kind of a ghost story, kind of not. It it's creepy. Both of them are. Uh, the first one, Melchiata, uh three burial, three burials of Melchiada Estrada. Um, Tommy Lee Jones plays a ranch hand who hires an immigrant. Okay. Of that name, and then a border patrolman accidentally kills him. Oh. During a misjudgment, and so he abducts the border patrolman to take the dead body back to his home in Mexico and bury him. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah it's intense. 
And the the homesman, which he also directed, has Hillary Swank in it. Um, she is transporting three mentally ill women across Missouri, I believe it is, mm. during the pre Civil War. And she finds him hanging from his horse as like a uh, I think he's a thief, and they caught him, and we're gonna hang him. And so she sets him free in order that he makes a deal that he takes care of the takes care of these women and then it ends up being kind of a journey into this man's sanity because she, spoiler alert she ends up killing herself halfway through the movie and oh. leaves him in control of these women okay. with 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 the same agreement and like he's sworn by this contract and he's gonna do it like that old old western sort of uh yeah, 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 yeah. pathos uh pathos i believe i think it got code of honor ethics, yes yes yes, yes 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 uh, the old samurai movies. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Uh, th- there's a little bit of uh, David Fincher in that, and I bring him up because he's another one of those cats where his his films have a definite ending to them. Yeah, yeah. Which I do, Which I do like. Sense of finality and whatnot. Yes. There, there's, not, there's no cliffhanger. There's no chance for a sequel. He does do a very good job of that. And he usually comes up, Fincher does, as far as discussions that I've had with people about, you know, American auteurs. The the uh, word auteur is, you know, someone who's basically in, in control of the film from front to back. It's an old French word. It came out of the French New Wave, like Godard, Truffaut, Chabral, Rivette. All those cats, where they re- basically revolutionized the method of producing cinema because they were in complete control. Yeah, they had yeah. control over every single bit of it because it was all, for the most part, in the beginning, it was low budget. So they had control. It was outside of the studio. Oh, yeah. the studio had no fucking say on what they were doing. And American cinema did take from that a good amount and influence it a good amount as well. But having, having discussions like now, like are there any American directors who people would put in that pantheon and it always comes up fucking Paul Thomas Anderson. That's always one of the first ones, mm-hmm. always one of the first ones. And I had this discussion the other night with a friend <sighs> I like I the thing with Paul Thomas Anderson, I like what he does. I do. He he he's not dumb. He's not dumb. The guy knows what he's doing and he owns up to his he owns up to his references and his influences fairly well. Mm-hmm. I just don't always like what he finalizes with. I wasn't a fan of Punch Drunk Love. Okay. Granted, granted, I only saw <clears throat> about twenty-five minutes, and it's just I, w- I couldn't do it. Haven't seen Magnolia, haven't seen Heart Eight, but like Boogie Nights, There Will Be Blood's a fucking masterpiece. Yeah, the master is very goddamn good. He always comes up. Fincher comes up. You know, obviously Scorsese, Tarantino. Uh, like who? Like who else? Who else is there in American cinema? 
like born and bred like from from the ground up so I'm, I'm curious about that too if anyone has any any thoughts uh in the comment section we'll put that out there give us your suggestions yes and all please that. yeah but and like i said too like he like with paul thomas anderson as with really any american director he uses his influences quite well i think you know he owns up to the fact that he grew up on basically Robert Allman and Kubrick and and once again i can't not harp on it it's just the fact that, oh there it goes <laughs> the fact that basically any american director i mean even orson welles was influenced by someone else like one of the i mean one of the purest american directors if you ask me, wasn't even American. John Ford, maker of the old westerns that basically everyone post nineteen forty eight to the fifties grew up on. Scorsese and Copeland, all they yep, they yep. all you know. De Palma grew up on Hitchcock, you know. Tarantino grew up on all of that. Altman, <clears throat> Robert Altman, he he had a great quote though. He said, "Uh, I'd go to a movie, I'd hate it, and I." I remember the director's name, but forget who he was because I never wanted to make a movie like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, no, I can't blame him for like feeling that way, honestly. So, like, you could, you know, you, you could say David Lynch, maybe like one of the uh, true original American directors, but then again, he was influenced by Boomwell. Oh yeah. And Billy Wilder, who was Polish, I believe he was Polish. Yeah. And Kubrick as well. That. And I, I, if I can leave off with that comment that American cinema, the beautiful thing, once again, the pro is the con, and the con yeah. is a pro. Where I mean, it's, hell, it's America in, in, of itself is like a melting pot. Yeah, so. like, like I, I, if it's all I, influences kind of melting together. <laughs> there's a theme of this hodgepodge, is that it is a hodgepodge. Like, yeah, you see an American film, it's it probably has come from somewhere else. Oh yeah, but if if, if you want to say Tried and true, the uh, spirit of cinephilia, <laughs> which is a true word. You'll look into that influence, and with that influence, you'll find out. Like, if you want to go into it, you can find the history of it. But oh, yeah. with that, folks, I think we're gonna close off with that. Want mm. I want to do a two-parter, but uh, you're you're looking at me in that funny, that funny tone, Nate. <laughs> yeah, we can always, Might save for we next can always week. digress on these issues on another episode. Yeah, I I, I feel like we could use a little more input on this matter from an outside. Yeah, space. exactly. Like, and once again, leave comments, please, please, please. I just want to, I just want you to like us. We love you, boo boos. Love it. Love us back. European Ian, <laughs> European Ian on Twitter, European Ian on Instagram, Moon Tower Podcast on Facebook. We're spreading out. We got iTunes, Moon Tower yeah, right, Podcast. Look at that shit out. Yeah. <laughs> spreading both legs wide. Yeah, Working that's on. Great. Oh, also, um, real quick, ended on a high note. Our good friend, Mark, the milkshake Kowalski, dealing with some good good info on the uh, merchandise and the logo. Merchandise. Going to have some new stuff posting up for you guys. Hope you stay tuned. Once again, thanks for letting us ramble on in your ear. And with that, the Moon Tower Podcast is going to call it a night. Keep watching movies. Keep letting us know what you think. We love you. 
All I'm going to say is I want a Moon Tower podcast coffee mug. Peace be unto you. And now, folks, let Saturn Boy soothe your ears with Aura. Thank you.